Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just going on 7.30 and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, it's the second Sunday in the month and that means we have one of the sergeants in the studio. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there in, in uh, almost freezing li- uh, listening land, isn't it? <laughs> but um, it's good. We're getting some showers and some rain and that's great. I think we might that's be getting really more good. than that today if we're yeah. not careful. Yes, <laughs> yes they're, they're forecasting hail, there's snow on the nearby Alps mm-hmm. and... Um, Yes, it's going to be a chilly one. Yeah, good winter, good winter. Yes, a real winter yes. for a change. Yes. Yes, we're really getting the chill factor, which is great for, for some of our plants. Mm. But uh, Including yes. roses too. <laughs> they don't mind a good chill. No, and, and the seed too. It helps, to, helps, helps with germinating with roses. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Mm. Right. I have to say good morning to the two Elliots. Good morning to both of you, Gwen and Roger. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, yeah. and the same from him. Yeah. <laughs> and what have you been busy doing lately? Well, we've actually been very well. I don't know that we've been very busy in our garden, but Evan Golke's been helping us, and we've been doing some major work in our rear garden, and that's been exciting. But we've also been pretty involved with a number of. Uh, very exciting things down at the Cranbourne Gardens, so there's plenty to keep us off the streets. <laughs> I can't see you wandering the streets, Gwen. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Although Roger goes walking every morning and uh, he wanders the streets. Fair but, enough. <laughs> very, very, you know, a definite stride. Okay. Now, uh, I've, we've also got uh, Virginia back from overseas and I've asked her to come into the studio briefly uh, before she goes out to the outside line because... Virginia, you came home from the UK to discover you had a spring garden in wintertime. My garden is looking absolutely beautiful, Pam. I just couldn't believe it because it is cold. It and is. the other thing that surprised me is actually it's quite dry, mm. which I didn't expect. But it's now wet. It is now raining. Yes. And they say there's quite a lot of snow up there today. Macca was saying that when I was listening before I came in this morning and there's a lot of snow up in um, northern New South Wales. Yes, so I think we might have some water. Mm, Yes, which I'm hoping for because my dams are not nearly full enough. Mm. But my garden has just burst into flower. I've got daffodils out, I've got salvias out everywhere, I've got all sorts of natives that are out. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm. I was quite surprised. There, it was a good welcome home. Yes, lovely, lovely. I asked you to come in briefly so that you can, uh, because some of some of what's out in your garden is is quite unseasonal, isn't it? Well, I've got some that are very much things that are out now, like the some of the salvias. I've got pink icicles out and purpurea. These are big plants, you know, big tall plants. The timboons out, the um, winter red salvia, winter red, and so these big plants are out and in flower. But my cantua buxifolia is out now. That was out for my last open garden in spring, in October. Right. And it's out now. I've got several, and only one of them's out. It's very beautiful because it's um, a, a large trumpet flower, pink ends with a sort of orange before, so it's quite striking. And um, 
It's it looks as though it's on steroids. It's very large flower. It is a large flower. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful colour because I think pink and orange together are quite special. I've got we, we used to be told never to put, put pink, pink and, and orange, orange together. I know. But nature does it very well. When nature does it, I've got another one here which is, is Salvia lasianthus. And it's sort of, um, it's, it is oranger. It's overnight, it's gone less, much less orange, but it's sort of purple and orange in the flower. And it's quite striking in the garden. It's another one, it's not as big as some of the others, but it'd be five foot. Mm. And it just looks fabulous because it's sitting in a bed that's got very little out and it looks beautiful. And then, of course, pink icicles, I've got three or four of them, and they, they just sort of fall all over the place. Huge, pale pink flowers for a salvia. And they just fall all over the place and hang over other things. So they're very noticeable when they're out. So how much room would you need for pink icicles? Because it can grow huge, can't it? It's, yeah, I cut it down every year. Yeah. And that way contain it. But it, at the moment it must be up to five foot. Yeah. So you do need a bit, of, a bit of space for it. This one, which is the largest salvia I've ever seen, this is the only climbing salvia, salvia d'Ambert. And that is a, that is a large flower it's a very it's the same color as our studio which is a very bright red it must be the studio must have been painted this color to wake us up first thing in the morning <laughs> and it's a it is a very red red there are some very and there are some very red red salvias out at the moment mm. and of course i think reds and oranges are fabulous in winter you know you like those sort of Strong hot colours in winter time. Absolutely, this is a similar colour to the pineapple sage. Sort of. I would say this has <coughs> got more. Ye- you know how red has either got blue or yellow in it. I'd say this has got more yellow. M- more yellow. It's a, an orangey red, whereas the pineapple sage is a bit softer. I think it's got a touch of the blue in it. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think this one is um, is one of which What's one? This that's one? winter cheer. That one, and that's that's also quite got a pink touch to it. Whereas some of them have got, you know, are just red, orangey red. Yes. And they're quite strident. And I Depends sometimes... what colour glasses you've got on sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But they're in, it's a nice collection and I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased to see my garden. I haven't seen it for two months. I missed it. I missed the daughter. I missed the garden. I missed, I missed <laughs> the cat. <laughs> Did I miss you? I don't know. I don't think <laughs> the ca- the cat. I think was happy. The daughter missed me, Good. and the garden seems to be very happy. Uh-huh. So I, sp- I should be pleased. Yes, you should be pleased and, indeed. And this is one of yours, Roger. One of mine. Well, it's a native. <laughs> I, I grow other things than just native plants. What the occasional vegetable? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Our saracenias. Yes, are the saracenias. Fantastic. Yes, yes, indeed. Our crepe myrtle and yeah. yeah, yes. But this is a bush. Um, Hardenbergia, it's, it's, and it's quite pink, mm. um, which makes it, to me, quite unusual. I've got two of them, and they're looking beautiful, and they bush rather than yeah, bush climb, yeah. so they're yeah. really, really rather sweet, I think. Mm. Yes, it, it's called shrubby pink, I think. Yeah. Mm. So um, before I send you off to the outside lines, did you manage to get to see any gardens while you were over in the oh, UK? Oh, yes, I did. Where did I you did. go to? I went to a few. I didn't uh, – this must be the first time in years I ha- didn't go to Sissinghurst. I went to Kew and was absolutely – I've got some photos on my phone. I must show you after the program because I can't show the listeners. But I love Kew Gardens and I often go there. But round one of the big old Victorian um, glass houses – 
they had this real local authority planting and uh, ageratum and really, really bright begonias and it was horrible. Oh. It was the only bit. Yes. All the rest of the planting throughout Kew Gardens was absolutely fabulous. But this one bit, it was so local authority planting and I was, I was shocked. I had to photograph it. I was so horrified. Oh, dear. So that was a pity. Okay. But I went to some unusual gardens that I haven't been to before. I went to quite a lot of private gardens and... I've been growing something I think I probably got from Stephen, which is one of one of his um, it, it's one of his elders, and it has uh, chocolate leaves, and I've had it in the garden for oh, a couple of years, and it, it just is not doing any good. And I saw it all over in every virtually every garden I went to. Right. And, of course, they've got it planted in much more shade than I do, so I'm going to move it okay. this week. Yes. They're, both of them are moving because they're well unhappy in my garden. Right. The other one I went to that was absolutely wonderful was Beth Chateau's garden, ah. which I'd never – I don't know why, given I lived there 20 years, I somehow had never been there, and I just loved it. She's got this dry gravel garden, which is really beautiful and full of things that I recognise and I plant myself and, and gum trees and – because it's the that bit of Essex is the driest part of Britain. Okay. But she's also then got a woodland garden, which is your absolute classic woodland garden, and so lovely. And I just wandered around and wandered around, then went outside and got tea, and then went back in and wandered around. It was just delightful. Excellent. They do know how to grow, and it is that little bit milder, which means that when it's good, it's really good. Yes. You know, it's not good in winter. No. It's so beautiful in spring. Yes. So, oh, wonderful. So it was truly lovely. Okay. Well, I'm going to send you off to the outside lines. If anyone wants to have a chat to Virginia, um, give her a call on the outside line, which is 94198377, or we'll open up our talkback lines now if you'd like to speak to the team on air, 94190155. We've got Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane, and we've also got Gwen and Roger Elliott here. So anything Australian native and uh, they can answer it for you. So 94190155 to speak to the team on air or to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. I'll get to uh, some of our community uh, announcements next. Um, firstly, uh, coming up is a six-week course of botanical art workshops uh, being run uh, with the Friends of Burnley Gardens and and in particular with Marlene Moore. Now, um, this uh, consists of, um, uh, let me see, a six-week course um, on Wednesdays. It's starting on Wednesday the 22nd of July and running through until the 26th of August. Now, it starts at 10am, runs through to 1pm with the instructor and then there's optional free time until 3 p.m. Now, uh, for the full six-week course, the cost for members is $300 plus materials. For non-members, $390 plus materials. Now, of course, it's being held down at Burnley Campus, uh, which is part of the University of Melbourne. That's situated at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. And uh, bookings, of course, are essential to book. You can phone Janine and her number is 0412 or you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com. 
but uh, you do need to, those bookings and payments do need to be made uh, actually by, uh, by tomorrow. So uh, if you'd like to be part of that uh, botanical art workshop, you do need to jump on the phone or jump online today to book that. I'll just give out that phone number and email address again. 0412 097 068 or email friends.burnley at gmail.com Now also Friends of Burnley have got a plant sale coming up on Sunday July the 26th 10am through to 4pm they've got a range of native, exotic and produce plants the location is the Citriodora lawn at Burnley campus which is just behind the student union building uh, payments by cash only for that one. So that's Sunday 26th of July. Now also on the 26th of July, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard have got their grafting day coming up. Now uh, they have uh, some wonderful things happening on grafting day. Not only do they have grafting demonstrations, they'll have orchard tours, there's fruit trees grafted to order, there's um, a new Edible Gardens book will be on sale. There'll be uh, excellent fruit variety guides there. Uh, the Heritage Fruit Society will be there to offer their knowledge and advice. You can also visit the uh, vegetable gardens set up by the Karen Burmese community. Uh, and there will be some plants and vegetables uh, available to buy. There'll be perennials propagated from Werribee Park Mansion Gardens for sale. There's a new natural history display of the Western Plains wildlife in the old homestead. There'll be a sausage sizzle, there'll be hot drinks and sweet treats, uh, plenty of parking and of course the beautiful grounds of Werribee Mansion and a sculpture walk to explore. And uh, of course uh, it's also right next to Shadowfax Winery if you want to finish off your day with a glass of wine in front of the fire there. So plenty happening. As I say, it's uh, July the 26th. 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m. And uh, I'll just uh, see if I can find where you need to actually go. It is, of course, down at the Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Um, and uh, they'll have signs up. So if you follow the signs to Gate 5, then you turn left when you reach Shadowfax Winery drive around the edge of the polo fields and park under the cypress trees behind the old homestead and you'll see the marquees over by the old stables. So just follow the signs to gate five and I'm sure it'll be well signed from there. All right. Uh, Gwen, I think you've got a notice there about a, a plant sale too, haven't yes, you? Yes, I think, you know, everybody's getting ready to... To well, do some early spring planting, I guess. Uh, there's again on uh, Sunday the 26th of July and also Saturday the 25th, uh, there is a plant sale down by the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne. Now that's being held actually in the Australian Garden, which is free entry, so you can go around the Australian Garden and go to the, the plant sale, which will be all set up near the kiosk there. Uh, it is 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock on both Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of this month, which is not very far away, is it? It isn't. Uh, and the plants range from 3 and $4 up, so you can, you know, bring a bag and fill it, a lot, fill it up. They don't have credit card facilities because they're out in the open there, so it's either cash or cheque. 
But, um, you know, that's a plant sale, all Australian plants are that one, but um, you can get a lot for your money when you're buying small plants. Absolutely, yes. And, Roger, you've also got something coming up. Yeah, look, there's a couple of things coming up down at Cranbourne too. And the first one is on uh, Sunday the 19th of July, which is next Sunday. Right, it certainly is. is. It is, isn't it? And uh, got um, Dr John Webb. He's an associate professor at La Trobe University in environmental geoscience. And he's going to be talking about why do botanists need geologists. So he's trying to put a case uh, for the geologists. Right. But it'll be an interesting talk because... um, Often, you know, some plants do only occur on certain uh, soils, you know, derived from certain rocks and things like that. So John's going to be talking about that, and uh, he's had a lot of experience in that. So, you know, if you want to come along and get challenged, um, you can do that. So that's Sunday the 19th of July at 2pm in the Australian Garden Auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. There's a charge for that, um, Non-members are $20, and if you'd like to book, you can ring um, 8774-2483, and uh, you'll be sent out a, a booking form for mm-hmm. that. Okay. And then on the 2nd of August, there's an all-day workshop, and it's called Frondly Ferns and Captivating Cycads. Now, often these you know, ferns and cycads are called primitive plants, but they're not really primitive in lots of ways. They're, they've adapted extremely well. And there's a, a fantastic range of Australian uh, ferns and cycads. Um, so that's an all-day workshop. And so there'll be things about ferns and cycads in the fossil record. And uh, Dr David Cantrell from the Herbarium at Melbourne, he's a... One of those people who likes looking at dead things, but, uh, <laughs> but he's he, he's fantastic. Fossils, fossils, uh, but he's fantastic and just he's a very good speaker. So, and then we've got a a youngish bloke, Daniel uh, Joubert. He's from uh, um, works in one of the government departments, but he's talking about um, cycads worldwide. Right. So it's uh, and then we we come down. To, and actually, I'm talking on Australian cycads. I've learned a lot about Australian cycads in the last couple of months working on this talk. Okay. So, but no, so they'll be talking because we've got nearly 25% of the world's cycads in Australia, and people often don't realise that. No, I'm such, sure they don't. It's got such a rich representation of cycads. And um, Daniel Olson is a PhD student at Melbourne University, and he's done a lot of work on Australian ferns. So he'll be talking about that. And then we've got uh, um, uh, Barry Stagall, sorry. He's a president or former president of the Fern Society. His wife are talking about cultivation of ferns. So there'll be, and there'll be some things to take away, cycads to take away. You get wow. a free, free cycad. Goodness me. And, and some ferns. So that's 2nd of August from 9.30 a.m. to about 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a cost of uh, $75 to non-members. And you need to book for that. Once again, if you can ring that same number, 8774-2483, and you'll be provided with a booking form. So Excellent. Uh, but uh, that, that'll be a really good afternoon. And also John Arnott from down there and Warren Warboys will taking us for a walk through the garden looking at some of the cycads and things like that. Wonderful. Oh, it'll be a great day. Yeah, it should be good. Yes, excellent. Um, I've just got one more to mention, and uh, again, this is from Friends of Burnley Gardens. 
They've got uh, a winter pruning workshop um, uh, for fruit trees. Now, this is being led by Chris England of Marywood Plants. And uh, you can learn pruning and espalier techniques from the expert. There'll be a lecture, demonstration and hands-on workshop. Uh, there'll be general pruning and pruning for espalier fruit trees uh, to be covered. And also a bare-rooted fruit tree is included in the cost. Now, you do need to book early for this. Bookings are essential uh, because the workshop is limited to a maximum of 20 people. Now, it's on Saturday the 1st of August, 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m. down at Burnley Campus. Um, it's in the uh, meeting place PSL 6, but there'll be signs up. You just follow the signs. Now, you do need to bring a pair of cleaned secateurs, some closed shoes and gloves now, to book, you can phone Andrew on 9035 6861 or you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com. Now, the cost for members of Friends of Burnley Gardens is $82. For non-members, $99. And payment does need to be paid in advance. <clears throat> so I'll just give out those numbers again for, to ring Andrew nine zero three five six eight six one or to email friends.burnley at gmail dot com and that uh, that workshop is on the first of August which is a Saturday ten through to one PM. Graham, how are your pruning <coughs> demonstrations coming along? Pram, uh, we've been running pruning demonstrations at the nursery and uh, they've been highlighted in our newsletter which we put out each week. Um, if people can't get to those, they just need to ring the nursery and, and we can um, walk them around the garden and give them, give them some pruning demonstrations, which we've been doing. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, pruning's been high on the agenda and um, we've been only too happy to help people out. Of course, living on the, on the job now. Yes. <laughs> in um, a sunny Clonbonay. And um, um, we're there... Um, you know, for 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And Diana knows that too now with um, mail-order roses. Oh, of course. She's sending them all over Australia. We're staggered where they're going to. Goodness Roses me. even into Darwin. Right. And um, uh, places where I've never ever heard of before, up into Queensland, um, into, into South Australia, the home of roses, and we're sending them back to South Australia, which is really good. Yes, excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, a, a real lesson, and Diana's an expert on packing them. And we're using coconut fibre to um, keep the moisture in roses. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the challenge is to um, get roses to people in out areas within a, a reasonable time. And, and some of the roses have been taking 10 days to get there, but they're still surviving well. Good. Which is fantastic. Yes. Mm. Excellent. And, and of course, um, if people are, are uh, ordering a rose to be sent to them, mailed mm. to them, they really need to have done their preparation, don't they? So yes. that the hole's ready to go and because yes. you don't want to leave them out of the ground for too long. No, no. That, well, that's, a, that's really the secret and preparation. Yes. And um, we've been doing some experimental work on using compost, planting in with the roses as well, and been doing some work with the biochar. Okay. Um, which is actually being made at Pylong, which is just north of Kilmore, and um, using... Um, when the microbes are active uh, in the soil, we find, we're finding that we need to keep some liquid um, uh, manure up to them as well to keep feeding the microbes. It's been a myth to say you can just put, say, uh, some compost in or buy a char in 
and just expect it to uh, go on from there because things have to adapt. And, of course, the soil microbe world is a never-ending, um, changing world mm. all the time. It's mm. just going through a, a whole changing process. So, uh, yeah, we've been doing some experimental work. Okay. Yeah. And well, course, we'll hear the results in due course, yes, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Mm. Wonderful. Good. Uh, I'll just give out those phone numbers again. If you'd like to uh, phone and ask a gardening question this morning, particularly if you want to ask about roses or uh, Australian native plants this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you want to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. Roger, you've brought in a huge array of plants this morning. Let's chat it. About a couple of those. Yeah, I know. Just when I was saying to Gwen the other day, what were, what were we taking to 3CR, you know? And um, by the <coughs> pardon me, by the time we wandered around the garden, it was amazing what was out. Yes. Flower, just even, you know, in our small plot now. I brought in a few pea flowers because I think, you know, pea flowers get a bit pretty poor press, really. Not many people talk about pea flowers, but it was good. Virginia was mentioning about her Hardenbergias, which are coming into flower now. Um, we've brought... In a couple of plants or bits of plants of corazemas, flame peas, and um, they flower winter time and they'll go through to spring. And there's two of the same same name, but they look quite different in a way. Corazema, that's C H O R I Z E M A, and Elisifolium, which means it's like a holly, like an ilex, I L I C I F O L I U M. And um, so if you're wanting some thing, you know, things, low-spreading things, or they will climb if they get a chance. So okay. the, there's what, what we call stem climbers. There's quite a few plants that do that. They don't actually twine around things, but they use their, their branches to go up through other things. And so you get some uh, bright oranges and even yellows and then quite a, a pinkishy red mix, a bit like your orange and pinks before you Yes. Yeah, and I was thinking of that. When um, yeah. Virginia held up her salvia, yeah. I thought that corazema that Roger's got sitting there has got that same combination, that same combination. of yeah. pink and orange with a mm. bit of yellow in it. And I wonder if, you know, at the same time of the year, whether they're trying to talk to the same pollinating well, they, they probably could they, be insects well, could or be. whatever. Yes. Mm, Except that's they come interesting. from different countries. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll have to think about but that. You never know. In, in, insects do appear in other, you know, on different uh, hmm. continents, the same insect. And but, Roger, how far would that climb? Uh, if given a chance, that would get up to probably two, three metres. Okay. Uh, but uh, where we've got it growing, it's just growing. We've got it growing flat, but uh, it, it won't climb there. But uh, so, and sometimes, you know, to me, sometimes some of the climbers, the light climbers, if you just let them flow through other things, mm. they can really add, you know, just oh, a yes. lovely touch to yes. everything. I know at Karanga Nursery there's a, a different corazema called um, Cordatum, and it, it, it gets up to probably three metres. It's and growing up through a big Banksia, Banksia bush. Yeah, mm-hmm. Banksia mm-hmm. And you don't notice it until yeah. it comes into flower with yeah. its pink and red yeah. orange flowers, yeah. and then, oh, wow. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so one of these, the, the flowers are... Well, not sparse, but they're more more open. But the other one has got very tight, um, what we call them, racemes, I suppose, or spikes, and they just have lots and lots of flower. And so yeah, have a look around for cor- corazemas. They do like good drainage, 
and uh, they'll take a bit of sunshine and they'll also grow in semi-shade. That second one you've got is more of a greyish foliage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, even, yeah, the the stems are quite, where the flowers are coming out, they're quite hairy. But mm. uh, So Corazemas, worth, worth having a look at. Um, if you want to try something that's going to give you some bright colours in, in winter. And, of course, your, um, your pea family also helps by putting nitrogen into the soil. Very true. That's mm. very good. So very so, worthwhile having yeah. in the garden. Oh, yeah, no, that, yes. that, that's good. Yes. And uh, we've got uh, another one here, just uh, Coraz- uh, not Corazima at all. It's Hovia, H-O-V-E-A. Acutifolia, and this comes from uh, or southeast Queensland, northeast New South Wales too, I think. But it, it's a shrubby one. It'll get up to two two metres or so in height, and um, probably a lilac colour. Um, sometimes they can be a bit more bluish than this, but it, it's one that um, is worth growing in a semi-shaded spot. It's got a little bit of yellow on the leaves, but it, it grows out of that. In time, sometimes you get that yellowing occurring for a while, and once they get going, but it it, it provides a nice, you know, a good spot of colour. Just uh, this it's time really of year. quite a showy plant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yes. And some of the hoviers are difficult to establish. Okay. Just in the early days, and uh, even nursery people find this too. That right. They, they do have trouble establishing them, and undoubtedly, there's there needs to be a link up with microbes and things. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you don't have the right things there. That's one one reason why they uh, take a while, and even with the fact now that a lot of the the soils or potting mixes are sterilised, and sometimes they do get rid of uh, some of the good stuff through sterilisation, um, that can be one of the problems too. That, okay. Uh, that uh, they take a little while to establish. So does that mean they're harder to get hold of? Yeah, there, there are there are, there are a few. There's one Hovia elliptica from Western Australia, which is a a real deep bluish uh, or purplish blue. Um, that's probably more common in, in the hovias. Um, but, you, you know, if you look, specialist nurseries, they often have a, a, a range of, of hovias. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to go to our first caller. We have Pam, who's in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. Good and morning. And the sun is out here. Is it? Oh, yeah. you're lucky. We can't see it here. <laughs> Not sure how long it'll last. Okay. Now, can I please have two questions this morning? Of course. Now, Graham, I wanted to ask about Rugosa roses. Yes, yes, Pam. Um, my Rugosa roses are looking terrible at the moment. We've had t- we've had some terrible frosts, and we've had a lot of them. And the Rugosa roses are looking very ragged at the moment, more yes. so I think than other years. And I'm just not sure should I prune them, um, Pam. If you if you're challenged with frost. And you're like, a bit like us. You can get uh, sometimes you can get black frosts. I would yes. leave them, yes. and I'd leave them well into August. You can take take your time about pruning them. All right. And when okay. you prune them, should you prune them hard, or <clears throat> they're they're both the stands that I've got are in reasonably hard spots. Yes. Um, should I? Uh, and I was sort of trying to establish a hedge. So could I just hedge them, like just oh, yes. take the top off and? Yes, you can hedge them, but if you do prune them, don't prune them any harder than, you know, say, half off of, what, of what's there. Oh, no. No, okay. I would only take, say, the top, oh, oh. I don't know, the, a bit off the top, say, yeah. six inches off the top. How long have they been in, Pam? They've been in, um, oh, two, 
two of them have been in four years and the right. others have been in three years, but right. everything's much slower up here than, yes. you know, when, when I was in Melbourne. Right. Okay, well, if you if, if you just uh, prune back no more than half, and I would make sure that you've got some mulch on your soil. Yes. Even if it's straw or anything like that. Okay. And uh, you've got that black volcanic soil. Yes, but I've been, I've spent the last four years working on it and yes. I keep compost and mulch right. And, right. and I've been using a lot of horse manure. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Yes, okay. that's fine. I, I get it from a stables where yeah. they've, it doesn't have weeds in it. I never get weeds in it or anything, but yeah. it's, it's a, just a good spot to get it. Yeah, I, I work on the mulch, and then when you work with your horse manure, start to start to use that in spring, but don't use it too fresh. Let let it cook in a spot. Yeah. Heap it up and let it cook for a while. But I do that. If you put any horse manure on now, you're likely to force a bit of new growth. So ease yeah. up on the horse manure, you know, in this winter winter time, early spring. I generally do that because the last thing I don't ever do anything because the last thing I want to do around here is force new growth at this time of the year. So I generally wait. Mm-hmm. With everything around here, um, right. otherwise you, we get late frost, as you probably know. And um, if we get a late frost, it just takes everything. All right, are you looking after your chooks? Oh yes, I've um, I've developed into I've gone into silver laced wine dots. All right, good. But I'm not sure about them. <laughs> and white eggs, you can't get white eggs anymore. No, And my no. silkies always laid me white eggs that I need to get my calcium thing that I do. Are you anyway, chook, chooks laying in the winter? No, the silkies are too old now. I've still got those little hens that you told me all those chickens were hens. I've yes. still got two of those, three but, of those. And what about your wine dots? Are they laying? One. Oh, good. And the other two aren't, so they'd better start laying or they're going to be Sunday lunch. Well, you better get some little Langshan bandams. They're laying now at my place. <laughs> laying like the clappers. I thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I'll come down and see them one day when the weather gets better. So I, I saw you at the Chook Show. Did you? Yeah, I, you didn't see me there, but I was... Oh, you should have yeah. said hello. I joined the Kindness <laughs> Poultry Club. Yeah. I do. They're, they're, a, they're a, a group of good goers, those people, aren't they? Uh, they're a really nice group of people. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Encouraging people to get chooks in their in their yards and in their gardens. Yeah, That's the way to go. To encourage children to yes. have chooks and 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 it's a really nice thing. And it's yeah. a grounding thing. You know, anything yes. like that, anything to do with yeah. nature or the soil, it's so grounding, isn't it? They need relief from all their computers. Yeah, that's right. And electronic stuff. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway. And I wanted to ask Roger a question as well okay. about soil. Yep. Um, Roger, I'm down the back of my house. I've probably you've heard I, my block goes down yep. onto the river, yes. the Campaspe River, at the back of the Kyneton town. Yep. And and when I say down, I really do mean down. Mm-hmm. And we're doing landscaping down the bottom back, the bottom of the block at the moment. And I've not bought in any soil. We're just using, because we're putting in steps and things, we've got heaps uh, of soil. That's a good good thing to do. Yeah, I don't like bringing no, in soil. No, it, no. it introduces yep. too many awful things. That's right. And um, so, but I wanted to know, because it's just soil, I wanted to know, should I introduce, well, you can buy um, cow manure at the, you know, at the... Mm-hmm. 
places where you get all your sand and soil yes, and stuff. Yes, yes. And I, but I just didn't know, should I introduce something else into that soil? Because I'm not used to just soil. I use, like I was talking with Graham, I've always composted my soil and kept up the, mm-hmm. the biodynamics of the soil, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just didn't know, should I introduce something into that soil while I'm working with it before I start planting out, I want to try and do grasses and things. And I was listening to you about some of the plants that you were talking about, which uh-huh. sounded okay. Um, okay, everything's a bit trial and error here. Yeah, no, look, fine. If you were going to be planting grasses and things, I, I wouldn't uh, be introducing too much organic no. matter into that, because some sometimes if you start, you know, adding organic matter and you're wanting to establish grasses and things, you'll yes. you'll end up. It'll be a bit too rich, oh, for, right. and you could end up having other things come in. Yes, uh, so. and I was trying, like I don't, soil I never buy. No. But um, organic sort of, some of those organic matters, and I don't, oh, I don't like a lot of them. And I've got to be so careful here, and it really is trial and error with what I'm doing, yes. and it's a yeah. challenge Yeah. Lots of things going. But, but still, uh, you know, if we don't have a challenge in life, what do we have? Oh, no, that's right. But some of the things are going well for you? Um, yes, and I'm finding that a lot of things that actually, like, um, got burnt by the frost, um, if, if we have a bad frost and they get burnt, they don't grow again. It, uh-huh. but, just, but anyhow, but I'm finding that um, things like once they've been through a couple of winters, they seem to be adapting Yes. Like the courier elbers got burnt really badly. Mm. Um, but now I find we've had some really bad frosts and I was looking at them the other day. They're not burnt at all. Okay. So okay. so I think things adapt, don't they? Oh, look, they, they can do. And sometimes even when you buy buy plants from nurseries and that, that they've come from fairly soft conditions too. Yes. And the first year yes. uh, can be a little bit of a problem for them just to, but once they harden up and... Uh, that that can be beneficial, oh, but, right. uh, but you know, as far as preparation of soil I, for for planting yeah. in your own soil, uh, the fork All is right. the fork is the best tool I think you can use for that sort of stuff. That so, would be good. Mm. So I'll, I've got a big jo- I've got a big job on today. So hopefully the weather will be kind, but we need the rain. So we, do. we, we certainly complain. do. We do. Yeah. We've had no rain, and um, this is the first lot of rain we've had in ages and ages, and the dams out here are all half empty, oh. and they desperately need rain up here. So yes. Yes. anyway. Okay, all thank right. you all very much for all that constructive advice. Okay. I okay. appreciate the opportunity. That's fine. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. That number again, if you'd like to phone and ask a gardening question this morning, 94190155, or to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. Um, Roger, while we've got a moment for a chat, I wanted to um, to highlight um, the fact that we don't often think terribly much about some of the, the pests and diseases and weeds that, that are creeping in not only to our country but causing havoc overseas as well. And and this was really highlighted to me when I was recently in Italy because they've got some really major mm. problems at the moment. Yep. Um, one, of their, one of their problems is this terrible bacteria that is uh, just devastating their olive trees. Yep. 
Um, and there's this talk that, that that could completely wipe out the industry in well, Italy. That's right. I was just reading an article. I think it's is the English paper, the Daily Telegraph, or is it just the Telegraph? But anyway, uh, just two days ago, mm. and it was talking then saying that, uh, yeah, there's a fair chance that the Italian olive oil industry will be gone. Yes. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. they they it's it's actually carried by an aphid. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular bacterium, yep. but um, they really have no way of controlling it. What they're trying to do is simply um, create a, a mile wide cordon across the region by cutting down healthy olive trees to try and contain the ones that are, are diseased and affected. But but of course, um, this isn't helping, and the farmers are very disgruntled about this because they're mm. they're having to lose their good trees, uh, and while maintaining their their diseased trees, which are completely cutting the crop that they're getting. Um, and it's it's just well, they were saying it was first detected uh, back in September in in 2013, so not that long ago. No. Um, and it's um, you know some of the trees have. They've had to cut down are hundreds of years old. It's it's really really devastating, um, and they they say it's 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 since 2013 the affected areas increased from 8,000 hectares to 230,000 hectares. So just in that short time, uh, so um, it really is a worry for for all the farmers over in Italy. Oh, that that's for sure. It's interesting that they're cutting out the good trees. I'm trying to work. You know, I thought it would have you know they would have tried to get rid of the. The diseased ones. But no, they're cutting a cordon around just to contain them because they don't know how else to sort of contain it at this stage. They haven't found a, any sort of a chemical that, that uh, affects it in any way. Okay. Um, and the talk is that, that this uh, bacterium actually came into the country uh, by uh, by cut flower the cut flower trade, which was uh, cut flowers were imported in from the Americas yeah. uh, for sale through their supermarkets. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, someone just I don't know what they're doing with their quarantine in Italy, but uh, goodness no, me. Well, I can always remember this is going back a while, but the Victorian government asked me to take some plants across to Italy because they'd used um, one of the estates up near Vicenza for a big trade show, Victorian mm. And uh, so the man who lent them their, I think it was a 17th century villa, they said, the government said to him, you know, what would you like? We'd really like to give you something. And he said, oh, look, I'd just like a 1,000 Australian plants for my villa. So I was contacted and I ended up taking them across. Right. And uh, I, I carried them with me in, in boxes, two two large boxes, and they're all free of soil and all that sort of thing, and they've been passed here by uh, quarantine here. But um, when I got to uh, Milan, I was asking for their quarantine inspection. Oh, sorry, they're on holidays today. Just go through. So I, I went across with... Plan- I knew that eucalypts weren't allowed. In, yes. In the, but I went through, and, and they weren't inspected. Good heavens. So you never know what could have been. But we did make sure that our plants were very, very clean. Yes. But, so it just shows you sometimes that uh, that's how some things get in. Exactly. And, um, you know, so this thing's got into various parts of the United States and other, other places. So, and, and sometimes they're, even in quarantine things, they're, you know, people do use legitimate ways, but... In, in a way, but they're different, for I know, for going into USA. Sometimes what people do is they send things to Canada. 
and then they get across. And so, you know, things can get moved around. Mm. And aphids are mm. a major carrier of just so many viruses mm. and a whole range of things. So, um, you know, it, it happens. And yes. It, you know, in the last, what, 10, 15 years in Australia, you know, we've had what, it's um, ash whitefly came in on Adelaide trees and affected, you know, badly over there. Cotton mealybug came in at about 2009, I think, or after that. And then we had myrtle rust. Yes. Which is, um, you know, well, it, it has had some dramatic effect, but uh, they, they are finding some of the myrtle family plants are resistant to it. But in other areas, you know, sometimes... One of the worries is that uh, it can just wipe out a huge range, after a fire, a huge range of seedlings. Mm. So you end up uh, getting a whole change mm. in the vegetation. So, yeah, some of these things can move very, very fast. That's right. And it's one of, it's one of the problems. And, um, you know, you're talking about uh, um, things coming in on other plants. Well, e- even just over time in, in Australia, I think there's been about 23,000 weeds have come in from ornamental. Ornamental plants are now listed in Australia. There's about 23,000 of them So as weeds. So, yeah, it's, things move around and, and, and there are consequences. Yes, of moving mm. stuff. very so, dramatic consequences. Yeah. And for the olive oil, you know, for, for Italy's olive oil industry, my goodness, that is huge. It is huge. Mm. The other problem that they're having over there um, at the moment, and I know this is also a problem in the United uh, Kingdom, is the box tree caterpillar. And that is absolutely... I mean, if you think of <clears throat> of, of Italy, um, and in France for that matter, of all their, their formal gardens, I mean, they, they contain so much box hedging. Yep. And... This box uh, tree caterpillar is just devastating the mm. box hedging. Mm. Um, it has a <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> it has um, three generations in in a twelve month period, mm. so they are constantly having to spray um, to try and eradicate it. But it's it's just uh, completely defoliating and, and and killing off the box hedging. Yep. So. Um, and, and for a lot of people, their gardens are their livelihood, yep. uh, you know, for the tourist industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if, if, you, um, if you've owned um, a heritage house and garden, you get no assistance from the government in, in any uh, restoration work at all, which includes the gardens. And uh, some of these owners are really struggling yep. to be able to, to actually pay for the amount of uh, spraying that they're needing mm. to do to try and contain this caterpillar. Yep, and that's a, that's a real problem, isn't it? And uh, one, one of those things, I suppose, is, might sound dreadful, but when you have a monoculture of lots of plants that, oh, that, yes. of the same species, that's, you do leave yourself open to, uh, you know, if you get an attack like that, mm. that, that can be, you know... Dangerous, and it's the same in farming, you know, mm. with monocultures and uh, exactly. So yeah, so whether in fact they can start finding other alternatives to box. Well, I think they're going to have, have to, to start looking yeah. at that. Mm. Yes, mm. 
because um, it's certainly making a mess of some of those formal gardens. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a disaster. It really mm. is. So mm. poor old Italy is uh, not in the best of places at the moment. No, in many ways. Yes. Yeah, but so. it, it really does, I think it's a very timely reminder to all of us to really be careful about, um, about what we bring in. We were talking uh, there with Pam in Kyneton about bringing in soils and not doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really have to be careful and think about what we, what we bring into our gardens and also what we plant. Oh, yeah. And, uh, moving in soils from outside is really should be a no-no mm. you know, because it's amazing what you can, can bring in. You can bring in root diseases. And other pests too, you know, and and weed, weed. So yeah, just need to be aware of those sort of things. But uh, no, it's when we start moving things around which um, don't go through the proper channels sometimes, and uh, it's easy to point the finger of at the cut flower growers in the Central Americas, but maybe things aren't controlled there as much as they should be either, mm. and so that could, you know, mean that uh, things have come in via those cut flowers. Yes, and of course Australia being so large with so many different um, climates, what might seem innocuous to in a garden in, in uh, you know Melbourne um, could be deadly yep. up in Queensland or you know, across you know, in the west. So yep. we really shouldn't be moving things around too much. No. We have an interesting story, um, Pam and Roger, in the, in the rose world where one of the rose nurserymen here was in uh, the botanical botanical gardens in in Beijing, and um, he was being conducted officially around the area. And he said, "Where's all your roses gone?" This was something like about uh, twelve, fifteen years ago. And they said, "Oh well, that was part of the Chairman Mao purge. We took all the roses out of our gardens, and that was part of what happened." And he said, "Oh well, all right. Well, I'll donate roses back to you from my nursery here in Australia." He lined them all up, grew them all, got them all ready, and there was something like nearly. Um, over 40 varieties that he had, uh, but eventually when he lined up in China to have them taken into the country, they refused him. And that was it, finished. Couldn't mm. go on. The whole process couldn't go on. And he had he had roses that were uh, uh, native to China, mm-hmm. and uh, they just refu- refused him entry. So, And when you think about China now... Um, they say that now, there's now 46 cities in China that have the rose as their emblem. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a pretty huge sort of um, mm-hmm. uh, type, you know, a market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, the horticultural industry in China is, is growing and growing and growing. Yes. Quite large. Massive. Quite large. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, a lot of the plants that we now grow in our own gardens were originated, were discovered in China, weren't that's they? That's right, so, yep. Mm. Yep, oh. and of course that happened in the rose world. Until we got Chinese roses, uh, the European roses only flowered once. Yeah, okay. and then okay. the Chinese roses were introduced as as were the tea roses. Yes, and then we got the ability for, for roses to flower for nine months of the year, mm. which was a real positive for the rose world. Well, of course, yes, yes. Mm. Talking roses, Graham. How's what's happened with your rose that's over in the uh, in the trial gardens in South Australia? Grey's blue. I'm 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 yet to receive um, a um, uh, results on them. Uh, the actual um, rose trial grounds they had to make some dramatic alterations to the soil. They found they had some problems with the soil. Oh, um, interestingly enough, I was over there last year, and um, in about uh, mid-January, when it gets really hot in Adelaide, and um, our little 
um, blue, grazed blue, I thought um, it handled the soil conditions and the weather conditions really well compared to other roses that I saw in, in the trial gardens. Okay. So they've had to put the trial ahead another year because of those problems. But they, oh, right. they tell me they've corrected the soil problem. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, fingers crossed. We'll yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's very exciting, isn't it? Yes. Yes, yes. It is. Wonderful. Mm. Okay. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to Graham or Gwen, Gwen or Roger. Uh, or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Roger. I think you've got some more plants there we haven't yeah, discussed. Yeah, we haven't even got another pea. Oh. Another, another pea plant. There and you go. This plant used to be known as a brachycema. Brachycemas are now called gastrolobiums. But don't worry about that. It's still the same plant. Good. I'm the, pleased the, it hasn't changed. The plant hasn't changed. <laughs> um, and it's one called uh, gastrolobium praemorsum. Uh, this is one called bronze butterfly. Now, it's called bronze butterfly because the foliage has a bronzish toning to it you can get green ones but it's a naturally occurring plant with the bronze you, you see it growing sometimes with the just the green foliage ones okay so it's just but it, it's a a low growing plant main well not quite prost, densely prostrate but it uh, i suppose the term they say is procumbent where the branches go along and they curve upwards okay but then the flowers are starting to come into bloom now and uh, it's a I suppose you call it a dull brickish red when it's, but it's pale and then it deepens in colour. But it's really good um, for attracting birds. It's bird pollinated, and it, it will take a lot of different conditions. It'll grow in sandy soils, clay soils, you know, or clay loam soils quite well. Drainage has to be fair. It doesn't have to be really well drained, mm-hmm. and it'll grow in semi shade and even full sunshine. And you can prune it back, you can clip it if you want to and, and make it quite dense. But it, it's, a, it's a nice plant to have and uh, it just gives you, a, you know, if you get bronze butterfly, a slightly different coloured foliage. And uh, they call it the, I think, what do they call it, the cut-off leaf? Truncate. Or yeah, the, the, mm. it's like, they're like half leaves. They look, look as though the leaf has just been chopped off in the middle. Right. But it, that's the name, Praemorsum. And the leaves are a little bit butterfly-shaped, I think, yeah, and they well, blow in the wind a bit, and that's yeah. why it's, I think, got the name bronze butterfly. Yeah, but it's a pretty good, you know, reliable plant uh, for people to, to grow. So gastrolobium, big long word, G-A-S-T-R-O-L-O-B-I-U-M, and praemorsum is P-R-A-E-M-O-R-S-U-M. It's West Australian but does adapt quite well to our conditions. Yes, well, it sounds as though it's, it, it will adapt to quite a few um, different yeah. positions in the garden, which yeah, is very useful. Yeah, no, it, it's good. So you can eat, let it just wander around other plants. It's, okay. it's another plant which will climb a bit if it gets the chance. Okay. So, yeah, no, it's a good thing. Wonderful. Yep. What else have you got there? Um, brought in a, a bright yellow flowered plant, and I know Pam's favourite colour yes, is yellow. Yes, it is. <laughs> and the wattles are out, yes. <laughs> um, and this is um, Hibertia serrata, H I B B E R T I A, and serrata, S E R R A T A, because it's got teeth on the leaves. And it's one that's marketed around, I think. 
there's a few different people market, marketing it under different names. Sunshine is one, I think. Okay. And uh, it's a plant that will get up to probably two metres or so. Usually it starts flowering August. Now, this is... Fast. That's in full flower, Roger. Mm. <laughs> and it, there's lots of buds there, and it's been in flower now. Well, there's been flowers on it for over a month. Goodness, right. So it, it's flower, flowering earlier. They look uh, a little bit like tiny roses, don't they, Graham? Yes, they, they, they do. They are. Yes. Yeah, so mm. they're, they're Oh, the, the flowers yeah. are, what, two or three centimetres across? Yep, and they are. They look like little bright yellow roses. Yep, and there's usually five petals or so, sometimes more looking at it there. But uh, it, it's a bright yellow, and it's a bright green leaf, and uh, it's a plant that responds really well to pruning. Uh, a lot of herbertias do. and uh, But uh, we've got that growing in a, a water well container with a couple of other things, uh, with a low-growing hibertia at the base and um, Eremophila nivea with a silvery foliage and, and this so uh, hibertia serrata. A lot of people have seen it around in nurseries and, uh, and saying, yeah, well, and, and it does well. And I think Virginia said she's got a couple of plants growing well. Mm. So it, it's um, from Western Australia, but it does adapt pretty well. It'll take a fair amount of sunshine or semi-shade. So uh, but I think the thing is, after flowering, to give it a prune if, right. you want, if you want to keep it compact. Yes. But if you just want to let it go up, well, don't don't worry about pruning. So what sort of height would it get to? Right. At, at two two meters, but okay. you can keep it to a meter. Yes. Quite quite easily. And what about the spread? Uh, tends to be more upright than spreading. Right. So it uh, if it got to two metres, it'd probably be between one and one and a half metre okay. wide. Okay, yes. But um, once again, you can, can prune. They respond well to, to pruning. And if you've got it in a water well, um, does that mean it needs a fair bit of water? Uh, not necessarily. It, it tends... Some of the other... The um, Eremophila nivea, I noticed, tended to wilt before this did. Uh, if it if it dried out, but okay. there's quite a bit of root competition in this waterwell pot now, so it'll be right. it'll be interesting to see how long it goes for. But, okay. it, but it's been in there a couple of years, I think, and it's it's fine. Well, it's obviously very happy at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The waterwell pots are quite good because you know the plants aren't sitting in water at all. It's just that it's there's just that the take reservoir yes. of water at the yeah. base. Yes, yeah. it's available, but. They're certainly not poorly drained, are no, they? No, well, there's what there's four plants. There's the Hibertia, the Eremophila nivea, and then the other Hibertia is Vestida, which is a low-spreading form. Um, and then there's also a brackish comb, a, a slightly purplishy, pinky brackish comb mm. in it. So, and they all seem to be going okay. But the pot itself is probably, I'm um, just trying to work out, it would probably might be 40... Yeah, forty centimetres square. Right. So it's 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 not a small pot. No, no. And, and it's fairly deep too. Yes. So, yes. So, yeah, no, yes. Well. Wonderful. Talking about wattles. Oh yes. Um, this is Acacia bormanii, the snowy river wattle. Uh, usually comes out on the first of July. It didn't at our place. It came out late. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the snowy river wattle is. A wattle, it'll get up to probably three, four metres high, maybe a little bit higher. It's a slightly wispy one. Great thing about Acacia bormanii, the flowers, although the flowers are very small, they don't get damaged by rain. Ah. So if it 
the sometimes it was Cootamundra wattle after mm. the rain. Yes. Mm. They'll start going a bit, you know. Yuck. Yeah, and they'll go brownish. and that, But uh, Acacia bormanii doesn't do that. Right. Um, and Very it, fine needle. Yeah, it, it, it varies a bit. This one is quite fine. Yes. And uh, slightly greyish. Green. What have we got? A millimetre wide, uh, the little leaf-like phyllodes, a millimetre wide and perhaps two to three centimetres long. Mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. quite pin-like, needle-like. Yes. Yeah. But others you can get there probably three times that width. In, in, okay. In a, it's quite variable. Um, and it's a, a lemon yellow. It's not a really deep yellow, but uh, there's lots of you can see lots and lots of flowers on it here for those of us in the studio. But uh, the other great thing about it, I think, is that it suckers, and ah. some people don't like suckering plants. They're scared of it. <laughs> Anything that suckers, they'll yeah. steer clear of. So you can get a lovely copse going, and mm. uh, and it's not dense enough to block out. Or stop you from growing other things underneath. Okay. So, uh, and if you wanted to suck it, you just stick a fork down, just go around. Right. The, and just to damage the root. Damage the roots, and, and, and it'll come then, up. Yeah. Then up they come, but they'll they'll come up naturally and and suck. And it'll take extremely dry conditions where it grows on the MacKillop River and stuff down in East Gippsland. It's you know dry, rocky uh, sites on the side, so it's it's very adaptable. Mm. And um, it doesn't usually set lots and lots of seed, and that's why it suckers because you, okay. know, you know it's a, that's it's how a, it it's propagates adapted, itself. It's yeah, yeah. So Acacia bormanii. It's B O R M A N I. Snowy River wattle. Excellent plant. Yes, beautiful. Yep. Anything else there? Yeah, we have got some other things here. Another another wattle, and I just brought in a few things. Just to talk about foliage, you know, so often we talk about flowers and foliage is often more important because it's their, uh, foliage is, their, you know, they're longer than the flowers. That's right. Um, there, there is, this is a, a lovely wattle. It's uh, called Acacia argyrophylla and uh, means silver leaves, argyro, or silver. And that's A-R-G-Y-R-O-P-H-Y-L-L-A. And... Um, the, the usual form of this gets up to probably three, four metres high, sometimes higher. Uh, it's a bit hard to see in here, but this the new growth is actually quite golden. It's golden hairs on the new growth. And uh, so it, it's very... Dep- and the, the foliage is grey and uh, they're oblong leaves, for want of a bit of a word. But then the flowers, they haven't come out here, but the flowers are coming out and they're quite a bright yellow. Okay. Th- this is a compact... Um, selection of it uh, which is not really available in the nursery trade yet but it will be uh, but it's a really interesting acacia you know very very dense we've got uh, planted quite a few of them and uh, they're a couple of years old now and about a meter high at the most and about the same across and um, dense as dense and, mm. uh, good and once again it's one you can clip if you want to clip <coughs> you know right. if you want if you wanted to keep it quite narrow along the fence, you could just clip, clip, okay. on, clip on one side if you wanted to, yes. and, and it'd be fine. And so, clip after flowering, Roger. Yeah, yeah, same old story, Graham. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, best yeah. best time to do it. Um, even while while the plants are young, if you just want to, you know, nip out the tips too. But uh, you, you don't very often need to do that. You can see where all the the, the branches are coming mm. out already, yes. and they're very, oh, yes. very very tight. So. 
hopefully it'll be in the nursery toad sometime down the track. Um, so Acacia argyrophylla mm. from South Australia. Okay. <coughs> and another foliage plant. Um, there's lots of different salt bushes around. And this time of year with their greyishy green, you know, the flowers are insignificant. You don't, don't even talk about the flowers. Yes. But just the foliage. And this is one... Chenopodium, people know, you know, that, that weed that you get in your, your chooks garden. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Uh, it's, it's a relative of that, but it, it's a nice, dense shrub um, and you can make this any shape you like it as far as, you know, you can have great fun with topiary and all that sort of things. But yeah. it's just a, a nice greyishy green, more grey foliage and um, it's, it's very dry. It'll take quite dry. It'll take a bit of moisture, but it's... Um, Chenopodium curvy spicatum, big long name again. Mm. Amazing to see the salt bush, bushes plants along the along the Hume Freeway, Roger. Yeah, yeah well, that's, yeah. yeah. And doing very well. Yes. And held up since they've been planted and as tough as anything. Yeah, no, yeah. that's right. And even on the Eastern Freeway too. Yes. Um, there's one there, Rigardi, uh, Rigodia parabolica. I think it mm-hmm. is. And... I, I wondered whether it would really survive, but it's been there all that time and it still mm. looks good. Yes. Mm. So how long is the Eastern Free? 20 years? Is it? Oh, it has mm. to be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, just to look out for the different types of salt bushes. Mm. Some of them do get quite large, so mm. you just got to be and, careful. And, and some reports where people are, are grazing uh, sheep on them yeah, with them right. and, and producing mm. fat lamb and having a great export market there. Yeah, mm. well... Yeah. I've heard, I've heard some people say it doesn't really taste no. any different. I don't know. No. Pam, she's a foodie. Well, yeah. I have to say I don't think it tastes terribly different <laughs> yes, either. Yes. It's a yes. good marketing ploy. It's a good marketing ploy, for but, sure. But in arid areas where almost oh, only salt oh, bush will grow, it's right. still good sheep tucker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, right. absolutely. That's, that's mm. right. So, yeah, Rigodias, and there's one fairly common one called Rigodia spinescens too, which is they're good value because some of them – They'll take low light. You think, oh, a salt bush from inland or something, mm, it's mm. full full light. But uh, often when you travel through the inland, you'll see that sometimes plants of salt bushes do very well under, mm. under eucalypts where there is a bit of shade. So, mm. yeah, just a, an interesting foliage plant. And this poor old shriveled thing is uh, one of the ferns, Dudia cordata, and the new growth comes up. And you can see the colour, I think, <laughs> there. But it's um, what colour, a, a burgundy. The, the listeners can't see the burgundy. Colour. There. <laughs> yes, a, a, it's a burgundy. A, a burgundy new growth, and 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 dudias are good for that. Right. All the all the dudias produce this lovely new growth, and so uh, this is cordata. C A U D A D uh, yeah D A T A. But there's other ones. There's a. Uh, um, Cordia, dudia, uh, dudia, dudia. Um, aspera. Aspera with the rough and broader fronds than this. And there's a few, there's about four different dudias. And uh, some of the dudias will take full sunshine. Dudia, uh, aspera will take full sun. Well, that's uh, useful, isn't it? Yeah. Because a lot of your ferns really won't yeah, take no. it. It'll take full sunshine. Yeah. And um, it, it'll, it likes to be moist, but even a bit of dryness in it, it'll still survive. You know? Okay. So, so uh, yes, there are some ferns that tolerate dryness. Mm. And so you'd be able to divide that in the garden if you had a clump that was oh, doing yeah. well. You'd yeah. be able to make two two clumps. Yeah, you might even be able to make more. Really? Yeah, but so. don't be too greedy. No, don't be too <laughs> greedy. But it's um, no, they're just uh, 
and the new growth can come out at various times of the year. It's not just a one-off thing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's starting now for us. Probably for the uninitiated, you'd, you'd look at that and think, oh, that's that's that thrond is dying off. But in yeah. actual fact, it's... Um, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah because and of the colour. Mm. Yes. And it's looking pretty droopy now because yeah. it's been out of right. cut-off. Particularly with backlighting from the sun, mm-hmm. it can be quite a vibrant oh, yeah, colour. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. good. But Dudia is D-O-O-D-I-A for people who've yeah, been writing man. it down and thinking, yeah, what will I ask Mr Google about? Yeah, How do I yeah, spell it? Yeah, yeah. Does Pam want to give the number again before you Yes, I will give that number because, uh, because we'd love our listeners to join us this morning. We are running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So uh, if you do have a gardening question... Please give us a call. The number is 94190155 or as I've mentioned Virginia is on the outside line if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia 94198377. Um a plant called a bower B A U E R A at one stage it used to be in the rose family but it's mm-hmm. in its own family now. Yeah. Um they call it the wiry dog rose. Um but there's quite a lot of variation in this this species is Bower rubioides, R-U-B-I-O-I-D-E-S. Um, it, it's a dainty plant, does like a bit of moisture and does better in where there's some shade. It'll take quite a amount of sun, but it, it does better where there's a bit of shade. Mm. And it, it's um, flowering now. It'll flower probably for another three months, maybe longer. And these ones... This is a pale pink. You can get pure whites. You, know, you can get quite deep, lolly pink ones. Um, so there's quite a, a range of different bower. This this one is grows just up the back of Macclesfield and through through that way. Okay. It's native to that area. Yes. Um, but the the pure white one has a larger flower. These flowers are about a centimetre, or a bit more than a centimetre across. And they have two, four, six, seven, or eight, sometimes six petals. Interesting how plants have variation in petals. Um, but it's just a nice, dainty little plant. And you can prune that as hard as you like to. You can mm. clip it if you want mm. to. But And it will climb. Okay. And no thorns on that, Roger. No thorns at all. <laughs> <laughs> they're not thorns, they're prickles. That's right. <laughs> Prickles, prickles. I can but see Graham having a very good look when Roger yes. said it was in the rose family. Yes. I mean, the flowers mm. are only about a centimetre across, but mm. he's having a, a botanist look and he's counting the petals and the stamens and all those sort of things and say, yes, I can see that you're related to a rose. Yes, I can too. <laughs> actually, the rose you were talking before about the grey's blue and the rose trials, Pamela, actually doesn't have thorns. Okay. okay. Yes. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that can be beneficial, can it? Yes, oh, for, for yeah. people who are yeah. a little bit sensitive. That's right. There, there's another, well, there's a couple of other bowers, but there's one called Capitata from New South Wales, which is a bright pink little clumpy one. And then uh, the Grampians bower, um, showy bower, is, has magenta uh, flowers and mm. have quite an upright growing bush. Uh, a little bit more challenging to get good growth out of the the Grampians one, but it's it's quite a spectacular mm. plant. <clears throat> that one almost reminds me of a tea tree, Roger. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's you right. Know, yep. The flowers. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's 
soft pink on top and, and, and very, very pale, nearly white underneath. And the stems are quite reddish, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just a nice, dainty... It yes. it flowers for so long. Right. And, uh, you know, these are all flower buds way down the stem here. Goodness. It's still coming. Yes. It's one of those things where the flowers off sometimes start up the top and they gradually work down. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so that's uh, another long flowering plant. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've got time for one more before one more. we go to our next caller. Another pink... Um, Astartia in the tea tree family Yes Astartia winter pink And it does flower in winter But it can also flower in summer So it's one of those funny funny named plants Um, Small pink tea tree like flowers Half a centimetre across But just masses of them And uh, it's fairly upright uh, Growing and adapts to a range of different soils It'll take full sunshine, semi-shade so Astartia, A-S-T-A-R-T-E-A, and then Winter Pink. Okay. It yeah, but it, it's a good... Well, very aptly named. <laughs> and an excellent cut flower, too. So, you know, you can cut... And even the bower, too, is, is quite a good mm. cut flower. If mm. you just want to have a little posy or something and just, you know, a small arrangement, Yes. So they're good. Excellent. Okay, we'll go to uh, Jill out in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. I would want to ask a question about um, snowball tree or cramp bark, the same thing. Uh, Should I prune it before I plant it? Was it just a young plant, is it? Um, Well, I bought it, you know, it's sort of um, three quarters of a metre high. Okay, okay. And uh, it's in a pot. No no shower flower buds on it now? No, 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 it's it's lost its leaves. Okay, all right. Well, I'm, you know, it's an it's one that lo- uh, deciduous. Yeah, yes. Yep, yep, yep. Look, you could give it just a bit of a, a tip prim, but I, I I don't think now somebody out there might know more about it than I would. But uh, if you just want to give it a, you know, a short cutback, okay, and that that would just help. It'll help it to bushing. push out sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So. So just a light tip prune. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You might, okay. you know, take and a quarter off or something like that. And the other question is, um, does the crepe myrtle only flower on uh, new growth? Yeah, I think that's right. So I only did a tiniest bit of pruning and only had about three flowers last season. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, perhaps I should take Don't off. prune it. <laughs> you know, take off... <laughs> A bit more. It's been in the. It, when I bought it, it was in flower, mm-hmm. but it's only flowered once in five years since. So okay. I was thinking, well, perhaps I better. How how much should I prune off? That's that's only. Yeah, you, oh. you you can be quite drastic with crepe myrtles. So when you see the treatment that they do to some of them, to me, it's a bit like butchering sometimes. Because yeah. I, I like the trunk as much as the I flower. love the trunk. <laughs> the yeah, trunk. No, yeah, but so, uh, be a trunk rather than a sort of a youngish-looking tree. Yeah, but um, no, look, you you can prune it back in it. Yeah, um, to do it now it would be fine. Okay. Because it'll be what late spring summer flowering, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm hoping it's going to shade things, and um, I'm going to plant that um, snowball tree. Um, it's facing east, you know, in the front garden, and it does get a bit of uh, westerly sun for a while, but then the house shields it, so 
I'm hoping that's okay. Should be all right. Yeah, I'll yeah. Say then. Yeah. And but uh, uh, with with your crepe myrtle, even even a bit of fertilizer could help with that. Oh yes, okay. So, yes, uh, I've got fertilizer. Yeah. I, you, I you, bought you, the um, black gold bags because my compost is so slow at uh-huh. making itself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I just wanted to publicly acknowledge that Penny Woodward did the most brilliant talk on garlics at the Herb Society on oh, the right. 3rd of July. Good. Yes. And everybody voted it was the best talk we'd had for ages and ages. Oh, good. Oh, I just good. think, you know, she needs more and more compliments in public. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay, Anne. good on you. Thanks, Jill. Bye. Thanks, bye. And uh, next up we have Jim, who's in Brighton. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for the show. Good. Look, we've just mo- recently moved into this house. It was rented out for years, and um, the garden was neglected, so the soil's a bit rough and dry. But I'm just wondering if now, when's a good time to put down some mushroom compost. Probably could do it now. Do it now? I think. Um, depending on what you want to grow, um, what sort of plants you want to grow... Too much mushroom compost might create a few problems, but if you're just putting in, you know, a, a light amount just to, to help get a bit of organic matter into it, well, yeah, that's fine. It can okay. be a bit alkaline, can't yeah, it? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Look, I also, I was thinking, I want to. I've got a, the back fence runs east, west, and faces south, so it gets winter shade and gets beaten up by the sun in summer because the sun moves right around. Mm. What are some small native? Like bushes or small trees, I could plant along this fence that would grow there. You say you want to want to screen out the fence. Is that what you want to do? No, not really. No. I just want something looks good. Perhaps something one of the wattles that flowers in winter that you perhaps you were talking about. Yeah, look, that uh, that would be quite a good one to use. Acacia bormanii would get yeah, flower, flowering in winter. Even you know, good reliable things are some of the um, the bottle brushes. Yes. Um, you know, if you, if you're wanting reliability. Uh, that sort of thing. Even some of the smaller Malalukas um, too could could grow quite well. And Gwen's just writing something here. <laughs> uh, Coria alba, which is you know one of your, the coastal plants down there. So you know sometimes it's good to get some basic uh, plants in if you know to get things going for you. And, so they uh, take they they cope with the, all the like shade in winter. Yes, yes, yeah. they would. Yeah, they okay, would. Yeah, and and even some. I suppose it's a plant or a group of plants which may be overdone to some people's point of view, I suppose, are the Westringias. Um, there's a range of that. That's right. that, um, And there's one called Winyabi Gem, which is in flower now. That's quite reliable. Um, and also some of the other Westringia Fruticosa. There's some different types of those. So, you know, if you just wanted to get something in there, they're, they're good plants to start with. Okay, thanks a lot. That's great. Okay. Cheers. Bye. That number again, 94190155 to speak to the team. Or if you'd like to talk to Virginia, 94198377. Graham, you've got a couple of roses there. These Are these new releases? Yes, Pam, I've got one here that's called Father's Love. Oh, okay. So the fathers have got love. in next to the mother's love. Okay. And uh, we've had this in the nursery a couple of years, and it's been interesting to see how it performed. And, of course, fellas, so many fellas come in the nursery and they say, I've got to get a red rose for my wife. 
she's going to have a red rose. So anyway, the fellas have got a red rose in father's but love. But it's always the men who want the red yeah. rose, Graham. Yeah, it always and is. the women don't want them. <laughs> oh, they won't say no to a red rose. But it's always, I'm, I'm, I've, yeah. time and time again, you know, you ask a, a, a man yeah. what colour rose he likes and it's always red. Red, it is, yes. yes. And then, of course, the next thing is they want the perfume and father's love does have the perfume. Okay. And the rose also goes to... Um, uh, some of the some of the um, royalties go to um, the Prostate Cancer uh, Foundation. Oh, good! And um, it's part of also the famous Meland, um, well, you could say the Meland stable. <laughs> and um, of course, the Meland family in France bred the famous Peace Rose. Yes. And they also have another rose which has come come out, which is called the Father of the Peace Rose, and it's named Francis Meland, who was the Fourth generation breeder in the family. Okay. And that's a beautiful uh, mid-pink and also got a perfume and has done very well in the rose trials in Europe. So um, there's two Milan roses, Father's Love and Francis Milan. And, of course, if you want to read about the history of the Milan family, the book For the Love of a Rose is fantastic to read. Um, I always say to people, if you want a good... um, uh, Christmas holiday read. It's a great little read about the Peace Rose, and it's the sort of book you can read and gives you a lift in life. Okay, it's really good, quite a good book. Excellent. So that's for the love of a rose. Excellent. All right, uh, that number again nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to Graham or Gwen or Roger Elliott, um, or if you'd like to speak to Virginia on the outside line nine four one nine eight three double seven. Pam, there's a couple of a lot of orchid shows coming up at the end of this month and into next month. A couple I can mention too. Uh, I don't have phone numbers for these, but July the 25th to the 1st of August is a full week, uh, and the Bayside Orchid uh, Society will be having a display for that whole week at the Endeavour Hills Shopping Centre in Heatherton Road. Okay. Just during the shopping hours. Yes, right. And then after that, uh, the same group goes down to Cranbourne to the Centro Shopping Centre from the 17th to the 23rd of August. Oh. I mean, it sounds a long way away, but it's not. It's not. I mean, mm. It's not Ju- at all. July only seemed to start yesterday, and already today I think it might be the 12th or something. Yes, yes, we're halfway uh, through. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, anyone interested in gardening and moving should really move close to the Mount Waverley Community Centre. <laughs> oh, yes. Because <laughs> so many things happen there. And August uh, 8th and 9th is the Waverley Bonsai Show. Uh, I can give you a phone number for that if you like. That's um, 9802-8529. We'll mention it again closer to the dates, but Mm. that's Bonsai. And then the following weekend, I suppose it is, the 15th and 16th, it's the Waverley Garden Club Camellia Show. Okay. So, you know, there's all these shows coming up and sometimes we need to jot these into our diary or, you know, you arrange for um, Uncle Bob and Auntie Betty to come for the weekend or something and they're not interested in ga- well perhaps if they're not interested in gardening you take them along anyway but you know some people like to keep these dates available so if you into the community one uh, you could ring Linda on 0412 9143388 excellent um, Glenda, just to mention about the orchid world um, yes. the last couple of years I've been to some of the shows especially at Warringal yes. which operates out of Heidelberg yeah. and I I'll be honest with you, I've been to some of the shows and I've been blown away mm. with some of the flowers and some of the colour mm. 
Mm. Uh, and and the fantastic effort a lot of people put into those shows. Mm. Um, it's it's a it's a world all of its own, and it's great to see uh, flowers like that in the winter, like how we are now, mm. and. Um, um, being a rose rose grower and having roses so long in my life, I was um, um, rather surprised that we had a bit of competition in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go next to uh, Lee, who's down at Merrick's North. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, panel. The rain's gently falling down here. Ah, yeah, good. Okay. Um, we had no rain yesterday. No, we didn't have much either. Not the weather forecast. No. no. Mm. Um, what I'm ringing about is yep. we have kangaroos all over our property this year more so than ever before at night time they're all over the place yeah and we we're also getting a lot of um self-sown what i call kangaroo apple yes there's no sign that the kangaroos are even a little bit interested in eating the bright yellow berries on the kangaroo <laughs> no, no i i'm not too sure why it got that name actually ah. we have alpacas they're not interested either they don't know okay don't know i don't know whether the um Sometimes the leaves might look f- like feet of a kangaroo, but I, I, don't, I don't know. We should just try and find that out. I don't know. They're not edible in any way, do you know? Uh, some of them are edible once they're really, 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 really ripe. I'd be very hesitant, Lee. <laughs> um, they're in the kangaroo... Um, sorry, the kangaroo. They're in the potato-tomato family. Okay. Um, and they are reportedly, and I'm sure they are edible, these um, fruits which folk are like a big olive um, but start off yellow and go through to bright red sometimes. If they're really, really mushy, they're edible, but if, if you pick them too soon, you've got a real problem. So I'm, I'm not that desperate. No, no. I wouldn't. <laughs> and, I mean, you say you've got lots of seedlings. I know in a few weeks ago we had a question on the program uh, along the same line. It is one of those plants that will come up after fire or soil disturbance or something as what we tend to call a pioneer plant, and it's not going to provide a long-term takeover problem usually, but it'll just, you know, hold the soil, stop erosion, and obviously doesn't feed the kangaroos, but we'll try and do some research on that and find out. Um, but, you know, I can understand critters not eating it because that family is noted for having... I think, you know, deadly nightshade is in the same yes. family as your tomatoes and potatoes, so yes. it's what you eat and when you eat it. <laughs> A lot, lot of the birds will eat the uh, the fruits because uh, in places like Hillsville Sanctuary, they plant them in the aviaries and that because the birds, oh, okay. birds like the fruits. Yeah. Oh, right. OK. Mm. OK, so the chooks might Yeah, they mm. probably wouldn't. Yeah. And they're not in plague proportion too. They're not a nuisance uh, yes. plant at the moment, and I'm quite charmed. That I like self-sown plants. They always seem to do so much better than anything I plan. <laughs> that can happen, can't it? <laughs> very annoying. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Uh, just um, fill us in on what's happening down at Cranbourne at the moment. I know you've got because it's winter time. It's an ideal time for some of these indoor workshops and things. But what's happening out in the garden at the moment? Well, I could just talk a bit about last week. They had a NADOC celebration down there. Oh, okay. They had over 1,600 people there. Wow. It was fantastic. So that, and that, it was a good day. I yeah. think last year's NADOC Day celebration was inclement. Yes. <laughs> right. But it so, was a nice day. No, that, that, so everybody was very, very pleased about that. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of things happening there. There's always things in flower, and there's they're doing a little bit of uh, renovation of some of the... the beds up on the so-called house and hill they've been uh, 
which is melaeucalypse and other things. They're uh, adding some different eucalypts to that right. and some other different plants. Um, and th- th- there's always some problem spots in gardens, as we all have oh, in, yes. in, in our own gardens. And so they're uh, you know tweaking some of those things. So there's always some different things happening there. Um, also, there is a different tenant in the cafe there now too. That's the other other change. So Blake's, oh. Blake's Feast aren't there anymore. So there's new people in, but uh, so p- people seem very, quite happy with uh, what's being offered. Good. Um, but uh, you know, th- yeah, it's one of those places. I suppose, like any large public garden, to to visit. You know, if you can, every three months or something, because you will notice different things happening. Oh and, yes. And uh, so there's. Lots of bird life. There's lots of um, southern brown bandicoots around, active. Um, there's wallabies, too many wallabies. Oh. It's, one, it's one of the things. And they're just, just starting to work on the a master plan for all the rest of the botanic gardens, which is you know, 320-odd hectares. And the Australian garden just takes up you know maybe 18 of that or something. So that, that, that's another fairly exciting thing, trying to work out some of the other things that may be able to be done at Cranbourne um, too. So um, there, there's a few ideas floating around and it's getting to the stage for public comment about that, a little bit down the track. But uh, So we're just doing some, some work on uh, some possibilities. You know, there's things like uh, the idea of setting up permanent campsites a bit down, down there, which could be used for students okay. and other people, not just students, but um, that's one idea. Right. Um, so, and and the, there's a few other things to trying to work out with what they do around the wetlands, right around the the back, which you know was an old farmland area. But uh, so yeah, there's um, long term planning mm. going on. Has so. there been any any news on the um, the quarry site? No, that's not, not too sure what's happening there. I know the quarry next door. There's a quarry next door, um, which were applying for residential part because the quarry is getting near the end of its quarrying life. Yes. But I, I think that might have been knocked back by council. Okay. Um, but it does have a good water supply, um, a constant water supply, but it's a little bit too... It's got a few too much bits of phosphorus and other things in for the gardens, but the gardens were hoping to find a, a nice philanthropist somewhere that might donate a couple of million dollars so that that water could be treated and then used, right? Um, which would be really wonderful, you mm. know, if it could, because it just go, it flows, you know, flows out and it's not being used, so right. uh, it's a, it's a waste. But it just needs some tweaking the water yep. to make it usable for, yep. the, for the garden. So okay, yeah, but uh, well, fingers crossed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, let's go to. Uh, to uh, Jeremy Francis. Good morning, Jeremy. Oh, good morning, Pam. Now I'm sure you're wanting to uh, talk about art in the winter garden. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, we, we had our little launch uh, on Friday, and uh, and at the moment, Cloud Hill is is uh, full to brim with with work by well six different artists. And uh, this weekend, we've had Ian Maher actually finishing off a uh, piece that he's been working on for about, <laughs> about three or four months, actually, but a very elaborate piece of carving. So Ian's the letter cutter that uh, people would have, will have seen his work as they've been walking around Cloud Hill over the last several years. 
Uh, but we actually have him working here this morning, but he's actually heading back to New South Wales around about lunchtime. So if anyone's interested, they have to jump in the cars and come up to Cloud Hill fairly early this morning, between about 9 and about 11 o'clock or so, he'll be working on this piece. Okay. Yeah, so just a bit of fun for anyone who's in the mood to, to um, well, we've got a spare hour or two this morning. Well, there's there's so much art in the garden at Cloud Hill at the moment, Jeremy. There's plenty for people to uh, to wander around and have a look at. Absolutely. There's work, uh, quite a bit of work by Rudy Jass. Uh, there's work by Anton Brunsma, by several different artists. So we, we have this work scattered through various parts of the garden and making the most of the winter. Um, not a few flowers around, snowdrops uh, uh, are starting to look very nice and uh, our... Weeping apricots looking absolutely glorious, but on the whole, it's architecture. So the artwork works. The artwork looks much better against architecture, winter architecture. Yes. So that's the theory of it. Yes. And it's nice and wintry. Just rug up. <laughs> <laughs> some of the because I had the pleasure of being up there on Friday. Some of the uh, the structural tree trunks and that are looking glorious in the garden at the moment, Jeremy. They are. There's uh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we you. you we try and, well, the Sengukaku maples, for instance, we, we're using those in several places around the, the gardens. There's some um, red stem dogwoods, the, the western bird variety. Mm. And um, um, no, it's nice to have little instruments scattered through. And of course, the, well, sitting in the office and looking out, it, it's, it's mist at the moment, just a, a fairly bright mist. And, it, and these colours against the bright mist are just absolutely ravishing mm. we should also mention um ian maher is so talented not only is he doing letter cutting this morning but um he's even got some paintings on there he's a man of many he, parts he, actually. He, he does about four or five different things and um, in fact over the last three or four years um well i suppose he's put about three quarters of his of his time into painting and so we have an exhibition of his paintings in Seasons Restaurants and several also in the, in the digger's shop. And uh, these paintings from far and wide, some Australian, but um, some uh, he did a workshop in Ireland and, and did some paintings in Ireland. He did a workshop in Finland and uh, there's one painting of a snow scene and, and uh, I have seen a previous scene which he painted sitting in the middle of a frozen lake uh, painted during a Finnish winter mm. in the two hours of sunlight they had. <laughs> he, he trekked into this middle of this lake, sat down and and sketched out the scene and I think he, he, he took it somewhere warmer to finish it. Yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but, but he actually had several of these, of these paintings of Finland in winter and just quite beyond belief. And, uh, and this is a fellow actually from outback New South Wales. He comes from Will Kenya originally. <laughs> um, interesting bloke. Very interesting. So if people want to actually actually see him letter cutting, they need to get up there this morning. Yes, he's heading back uh, he- heading back home lunchtime. So they're okay. here this morning finishing off this fairly astonishing piece and, and do come along and see. Okay. And we should say that uh, Cloud Hill, of course, is at... Uh, 89 Alinda Monbulk Road up yep, in Alinda. Just out of Alinda. Just out of Alinda, yes. Okay, thanks, Jeremy, for that update. Thank you. Bye.
Talking about updates, we have uh, Ken from Sunshine Online. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. Now, what's happening in the park? Well, what's happening, we've got a meeting next um, next Wednesday and um, the council want, an inco- want us to speak again and I'm, I'm hoping they're backing off. But I'm sorry I haven't given the report. I didn't mind. I don't didn't mind going to my children's wedding, but when you start going to your grandchildren's wedding, it's a little bit much. Right. <laughs> so we went to New South, Northern New South Wales, for the last three weeks, and our granddaughter got married. Right. So we've just got back. So I thought I'd I'd, I'd give you a ring, and I'll let you know what happens next week at the meeting. And by the way, the Snowy Mountain Wattle. Uh, I don't know. I probably heard it from your program. I'm not quite sure, but an 85-year-old man can pull it out, and I thought, that's a waddle for me. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Cootamundra before that over my drive, and I had it shaped into an umbrella. It went right over the, okay. the driveway. Oh, lovely. And it was absolutely beautiful, and it lasted it lasted a long time. It lasted 25 years, and it was a rotten thing to get out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I thought... I thought the Snowy Mountains are best for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Good thank you very much for your support and thanks for your program because it, abs- it amazes me more and more each week. Okay, well, fantastic. good luck with the council, Ken. Oh, yes. We'll, hey. we'll beat them. We'll beat them. In, <laughs> You'll the get run. there. I'm sure you will. <laughs> We're going to have a picket line there if, if uh, they don't, so we'll be taking the park over. Oh, good on you. Okay. Bye. Thanks, thank Ken. You. Bye. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Richard, who's in Bitten. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Good yes. g- G'day, Roger. This is Richard Cumming. G'day, Richard. How are you going? I'm, I'm all right. I'm sitting in a very sodden Bitten market. Are you? Okay. There are lots of people there. No. no. Jokingly, yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of rain, but I've got all my plants out on benches, and okay. um, I was just sort of ringing into the show because I listened to it a while just to say that I'm here every week with a, a big range of natives, as you know. Okay. All in uh, forestry tubes, uh-huh. $2.50, and uh, a, a very broad range of things. Okay, good. So if there's anybody in this part of the world, I'm here every Sunday. Well, right, so uh-huh. whereabouts is the market, Richard? It's at the railway station in the main drag. Right. Okay, okay. all right. And it's, every, and it's every Sunday morning. It's a good little market. It normally has about 70 stores. It wouldn't be more than 10 here at the moment, maybe okay. 15. <laughs> And there are people wandering around with umbrellas and, and whatever. And in fact, I'm have to go on a sex. I've got a customer. Okay. But I just wanted to make another quick um, uh, spruik for one of 3CR's own, which is Joe Toscano. Oh, yes. Who's forming a political party, which is a uh, public interest before corporate interests. And today he's having a public meeting in Hastings. Okay. okay. All right. At one thirty in the Hastings Hall. So anybody who's interested in uh, seeing him or li- and listening to him, he's uh, he's coming down today. Okay. Excellent. All right. Okay. Thanks, you better Rick. get back to that customer. <laughs> Thank you. See you. See you, Roger. Bye. And we've got our good friend Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Panel. Good morning, Victoria. Rose question. Have a rose question to Dr. Graham. Dr. Graham, I have a problem with um, with a rose which I want to put into a tub. Yes. I don't know which one to buy. Normally, if you put a rose into a tub, that's usually a ground cover rose, something yes. like that. But I have seen a picture somehow, somewhere, and it was a double, and it had two different colors. Um, I think one was yellow and the other one was red. That's irrelevant, but they were doubles. 
Yes. Now the question is, do you put sometimes two, two, two roses into one tub to have that effect, or and have you got an idea? Um, can you make a suggestion for a, a double rose that is cascading over the top? Um, yes. You, you don't need to put two roses in, in, in the one pot to get that effect with roses. Uh, there are some very good uh, red and yellow roses put out by the um, people in France. Um, one name escapes me. What I suggest you do, one in particular, and I've grown this, this rose on the top of a standard, and it looks really spectacular. And, but you can grow it as a bush and it will form out over, over the ground or, or cascade over the pot. I'd suggest you ring uh, Diana at the, at the Rose Nursery and she can give you the name of it. Uh, you give me the telephone number? Yes, I can give that to you. It's 57 871 1123. Yes. Now, I. I like to repeat that just in case um, yes. it didn't sink in. I like a double. I don't want uh, one a single f- a f- a bloom, you know. Yes. yes, I want a double. Right. Well, if you uh, ring Diana, um, she'll be there for sure now yes. and tell her that you've spoken to me yes. and she'll she'll recommend um, a, a rose just just for that particular situation. Yes, and it is cascading. Yes, you want it cascading. Okay. Yes. Thanks. Thanks very much for your for your answer. My pleasure. And have a lovely day. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've got something there you want to talk about, Graham? Yes, Pam. I have here um, the Sustainable Gardening Australia have a, a rating on all fertilisers and pesticides, and that's been just been published um, through their net site. And if anybody has any questions about the any any pesticide or weedicide or fertilizer and its impact on the environment on their net site they've got a, a listing of all of these products that are available certainly here in Victoria so I'll, I'll give people that okay. net, net site it's www dot and capital S G A and then back into small letters online dot org dot au and it's an excellent site and these. All of these products have been uh, assessed as to their effect on the environment. In other words, they, are, they, they give a, low, a rating as a low impact, a medium impact, and a high impact on the environment. Right. So that's, I'll read it again. It's www. in capital letters, S-G-A, then in small letters, online.org.au. Excellent. It's, it's well worth becoming a subscriber to the. They'll, they'll send out their. It's not weekly, is it? I'm, I'm trying to remember. It comes out fairly often anyway. Yes. But their website is really good because it covers a whole range of things, and that what Graham is talking about is very detailed. Mm. And there's lots lots of good information there. Excellent. So, uh, and there are other things too. They're, they're, yes. They're all. It's a, a really good website. Yes. To, cover cover a whole range yeah. of good gardening. Yeah. And they don't have any access to grind because they've got no. no one no one paying their bills. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's a bit like us here. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, same story. But yes. it's um, no really good because there's a lot of. Uh, Good things come up on their mm-hmm. on their newsletter, yes. and uh, you can sub- subscribe if you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think generally we've all become more environmentally aware in the yes. last 
five years or something. You know, it's it's had a real surge in recent years where mm. if we've got something eating the plants in our garden, we don't grab for the strongest thing possible to knock everything anymore. You know, yes. once upon a time, hit it good, hit it hard, yes. get yes. rid of everything yes. that wiggles, crawls or is alive. Now we don't do that. We're much more discerning as yes. to what we use and how we use it. And I, that's I think good. it's fair to say also... Um, Gwen, that there's a lot more research gone into these things in the last mm. four or five years, yeah. which I think is really marvellous. Yes. And we have to get used to that idea in Australia. We we have the ability to do a lot of research and be prepared to spend the, the money and the time mm-hmm. on that. Mm. Mm. Yes. And then listen to the findings that come out. Yes. You know. yes. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I notice you've got the uh, Australian lime collection there. You've got one of them, and this yes. is sunrise lime. Right. And uh, this plant now is probably, oh, a metre and a half high, I suppose, in a, quite a large pot, and uh, has lots of fruit this year. Really, lots and lots. Really oh. flowered well. And uh, so the fruit itself is a bit, once again, it's like a great big olive. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a and yellow olive. A yellow yellow olive, and a sunrise lime, and... Uh, that can be used in cooking just like any other citrus. And uh, it, so they're, they're good plants. They're ornamental plants. It just had so much flower this year. I have never seen it with so much flower. And it has a beautiful perfume just like a lot of the lemons and oranges. You know, you got that orange blossom mm. perfume. Not quite as strong as some of the oranges, okay. but it, it's really good. And the flowers, they a lot of descriptions, they just say they're white, but they're not white. There's a touch of uh, a plum, plumish colour on those things. So it, it's a... An ornamental plant, and it can be kept quite compact. This is um, grafted on a standard. Yes. So, but uh, so yeah, look look out for them. There's a different, uh, few different ones around. There's desert lime, which has smaller fruits. Uh, red centre lime, which is uh, you know that's uh, one that's like this, but quite a burgundy yes. shape. Yes. And uh, I know Gwen stuck some in some marmalade the other day. Sure did. So you can use it for lots of things mm. like. Just like any other citrus, you yes. use it the same way. Yes. Yeah, so. Well, in, in the same way, I had my best harvest yet yeah, with my finger, finger lines. lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just incredible. Yeah, it we... even broke one of the branches Did in it? the weight of it. <laughs> we were trying to prop the branch up, but it still broke. But okay. Yes, just, well, we, just we, been we, incredible this year. Well, we had only one, I think. We had three set on our finger lines. Oh, okay. And uh, so you, you, you outdid us, Pam. Ah. Sure. <laughs> I don't often do that, Roger. <laughs> I'm afraid we've run out of time for another week. Of course, uh, we will be back uh, next Sunday at 7.30. A big thank you to the team this morning and also to Jenny and Virginia who have been doing a great job handling all the phone calls. But uh, tune in, as I say, 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.